Thank you for your prayers. Hello, everyone. Good morning. How are you all? Wonderful. I just love that worship. If you're visiting with us, we love to worship here. Um, and some would say to a fault, but I don't think that's possible. And so I, we just love to worship. We often, actually today was pretty short. So <laughs> we love to worship. I'm going to pray. I uh, just felt in my heart to pray. Josh, your prayers are wonderful. Um, but I just felt to pray. But hello to everyone online. I know there's still a lot of people there. Uh, so it's great to see you all. And Chris, that was a great word. You guys well? Happy fourth. Well, fifth, but fourth. All right, can I pray? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that we gather not so much for us, but for you. To give you glory and honor and praise and worth. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us. I thank you for the authority of your word. And I just pray over this time. Lord, every time your word can come, what a privilege to hear your words, Lord. And I thank you for that. And in Jesus' name, I take authority to open ears and let your presence begin to rest, Lord, to pierce hearts, to change lives, to break open dead places and bring life. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, once again, happy Independence Day. It's a wonderful, wonderful celebration in this nation. And... Uh, I wanted to start, just thought it was a good thing, and to read a quote from George Washington, the father of this wonderful nation. He said this, liberty or freedom, when it begins to take root, is a plant of rapid growth. I'll read that again. Liberty, when it begins to take root, is a plant of rapid growth. You can go and digest that. I don't know, for a few years maybe. He truly was a great man. And I currently want to share a little bit of just something personal. Um, I'm currently actually going into the citizen process. I'm actually almost through it. So I'm not yet a citizen of this nation. I've been here with a green card for I don't know how long. And um, first, you know, you have to go through the, it's, it was a long process to do it the right way, and you start with visas and work permits, and it's, it's cost a lot of money, and it's taken a long time, but I think it's a, when there's value attached to it, there should be value, yeah, it's a great nation, and um, so I'm actually just about to write a test soon for the citizenship process, and personally, um, there have been seasons in my life, and my wife can tell you this, where I felt like a man with no country, because the country where I grew up, it's a great country, but the where I grew up in terms of how I grew up, that doesn't exist anymore. It's changed so much. And so, you know, even it just doesn't exist and it will never really be like that again. And then you're not a citizen here. And there's, So the, the verse in Philippians 3, which talks about your citizenship is in heaven, became really important to me and real to me. And I've even had a few people when I've preached on citizenship in heaven and what that means. And it's interesting that the Bible says that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. And I keep preaching that and I keep saying that. 
And uh, in our introductory course, uh, if you come to it for the church discovery, in our discovery course, that's the first point. And I always spend too long on it, and it always gets me in trouble. But we have to begin to understand as believers that where we stand, that ground belongs to heaven because you have diplomatic community. We have to begin to think very differently. And, um, but it's, it's interesting. And uh, so a person <coughs> that his citizenship is in heaven, when I've preached on it, I've had people ask, say to me, you know, is it okay to love your own country, like earthly? Is it okay? Because the Bible speaks mostly about heaven and not about, you know, it is wonderful. It is wonderful because the Bible says in the end, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Yeah? So, national pride is great, but our kingdom is in heaven. But national pride is great. It's wonderful. When I moved here, for those of you who are not aware, that the way the guy, I think it was with my father, we went to a football game, then another football game, then another football game, and then another ice hockey game. And just all the times they sang the national anthem, it doesn't, it's not like that in other places. You know, I actually began to weep the first time just to see that. And so it's just wonderful. And so I have to pass a test from the USCIS, the United States Citizen Immigration Service. So you have to study. So I'm studying. And my sons test me. And uh, sometimes I get it wrong. But, um, but it's actually, it's, it's quite easy. But it's just the history and the structure of the nation, the government structure, the history of it, the ups, the downs, the wars. And it's a wonderful thing to read. It's a wonderful thing to study. And it was actually out of that that the Lord put it on my heart to preach what I want to preach today. That's why I share it with you. And uh, it's, there are many questions you have to answer, and you have to get them right. And um, two of them are these. There's, there's many. But two questions I wanted to mention you to, to you today. I hope I don't get in trouble for this. It says, give one reason why people sought out a new land way back in the beginning. There's a whole list of reasons, and you have to answer according to their wording and, and everything. It has to be right. And so give one reason why people sought out a new land. And another question is this. Name one reason why the Americans fought for their independence from the British. And it's interesting because to both of these questions, they give a list of sufficient answers. That if you say any of those things, sorry, I got water, that it's, it, it'll be okay. And you know, there's the same answer to both of those questions. And it's one word. It's one of the answers that they would accept. And it's just freedom. Or freedom from tyranny. And when I was reading that, I was going through the test. And as I read freedom from tyranny, the Lord said to me, preach on that. And so that's what I want to speak to you about today. Freedom from tyranny. And I'm not talking political, national. I'm talking spiritual, freedom from tyranny. So can we do that together? Wonderful. Now, specifically, the tyranny of sin and death. Romans 5, I don't think I gave it to them behind me, so excuse them. I was, wasn't sure if I was going to go there, but I just love Romans. We can't, we can't go without Romans. But Romans 5 tells you what happened really in the garden 
And when mankind is born onto the earth, when a person is born, and I know if you go to this church, you've heard me say this a million times, we need to say it more and more and more. We need to have an understanding. I see Romans 5 as a spine to the gospel. It's like the spinal cord. It's absolutely wonderful. But very quickly, Romans 5, verse 18 and 19, I think it's there. It says it actually three or four different places, but it says, through one man's offense, that would be Adam, first Adam, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free man, the, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. So what Adam did made every person that followed after that born with sin. And that's something we know, but it's not something, uh, it's, a, it's a basic understanding that the church needs to grab hold of desperately again. There are only, there's two types of, there's two federal heads in a sense. Every person on earth, it's not about race, it's not about nation, it's not a, those things are important, but every person on the earth is either under the federal headship of first Adam, which means we're all born in the sin of Adam. The Bible talks about that in very many places, or you're the, under the federal headship of Jesus Christ. And it's the first man, Adam, when he sinned, the nature we were made in the image and the likeness of God, we know this. But when Adam sinned, that was bent, it was corrupted, it was marred, it was changed. Because it wasn't God's intention for, for every person after that to be born with a sin nature. It wasn't His intention. And so the Bible says we were made in His image and His likeness. And so Romans 8, it actually says, so Jesus came, being obedient to the Father, He came in the image and likeness of men, of mankind to restore what was broken and bent in the garden, the image and the likeness of God, to restore that in mankind. It's, it's an amazing gospel. And so every person born on the earth is born with a sin nature that comes from first Adam, what happened, because in a sense we're all in Adam, because we all came from that. Go read about it. It's all over the Bible. Basic gospel. And then when you get saved, something tr changes, transforms you and you become under the federal headship of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the last Adam. And he had to do it as a man so that he was a substitutionary sacrifice for man, so that he didn't violate God's integrity. It's an amazing truth. Amazing. So, but every person born on the earth, let me actually read that again. Verse 18 and 19. Therefore, it was through one man's, Romans 5, 18 and 19, for those online, Romans 5, um, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous, that second, that one man, capital M, that's Jesus, what he did is, one man's righteous act, a free gift, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, that's first Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man, that's Jesus, one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Yeah? that we have a righteousness that is not based on our merit. That's good news. It's good news. Anyway, I'm going to start preaching another message if I don't carry on. So, it's good news. I have to say this, though. <laughs> yeah, we're in trouble today. It's good news. It's not good advice. You know, it's a, there's a big difference. Good advice is do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Good news is, I once heard someone explain it like this. If I go to the bank and I speak to the bank manager, he will give me good advice about what to do with my money. It's good advice, and it'll help me. 
But if I go to the bank and I get there and he says, someone put $10 billion in your account, when you run out, they'll do it again. That's good news. When we understand the gospel, we understand it's good news. It's not good advice. It changes you from the inside out. So, anyway, back to today. That condition that man is born in, it comes with two things. It comes with many things, but it comes with wages and weight. Wages of sin is death and weight, a crushing weight. So, the greatest, the greatest form of tyranny, I mean, I have a quote come up behind you. The greatest form of tyranny, because we're speaking about freedom from tyranny, the greatest form of tyranny is when those living under its oppression are unaware of their condition, yet are still subject to the severity of its consequences. I'll say that again. The greatest form of tyranny is when those living under its oppression are unaware of their condition. They don't even know it. It's all they've ever known. They just have no, con- they just, this is what life is. But yet are still subject to the severity to the extreme consequence that that tyranny carries. And that is the greatest form of tyranny. So people say, well, how could that be? Well, many ways, but two ways. One, you're blind to it. There's many things that blind us. We just can't see it. There's a power. There's something that we just can't see it. We're blind to it. And the other is you're born into it. We all know you can see a child who's born into a certain situation or certain circumstance he, he thinks that's everyone's life, yeah? Why, yeah? Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, because he was born into it. He doesn't know anything else. So, we're going to do, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching, hopefully, a little bit, like actual teaching, and then we're going to do a little bit of talking about Lazarus after that. So, if you can go to 2 Corinthians 4, because I want to explain that. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 4, it'll come up behind you, but for those online... 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But verse 3 and 4, very important. But if, but even if our gospel is veiled, 2 Corinthians 3, the chapter before, talks about how there was a veil over the face of Moses, and it's, it's all about something that is veiled. They can't see. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, small g, that's talking about the devil, the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, there's that image to restore that who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, we're going to do verse 3 and 4 together. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, those who are perishing, what does that mean? That doesn't mean how can the gospel be veiled or who is it veiled to? Who, does it, who cannot see it? it? tells us those who are perishing. That doesn't mean those who are sick and dying in the natural That word perishing is talking about spiritually, the spiritual tyranny of sin and death that people are born into. That word perishing is the word apolemi. I think it'll come up behind me. Apolemi. And you know what it means? 
It's very, very interesting. It means lost, being put out of the way completely or set apart for ruin. It's the state that every person on the earth is born into. So it's talking about actually just a person, the unbelie- just an unbeliever, a person in this world. But they, in a sense, they've been set apart, set on a path of death. Because the wages of sin is death, not the wages of sinning. The wages of inherent sin, the condition of every person on the earth when they're born. It's a condition. Billy Graham called it the great disease. Apollomai, and it's linked to what word? I don't think it'll come up. The word Apollyon. Who's ever read uh, Pilgrim's Progress or Progress? You know Apollyon, the great guy who fights at the end? That's actually in the Bible, in the Greek, in the Greek New Testament, that's a word for the devil and the destroyer. And so that word Apollomai, that state of those who are perishing, where do you think it comes from? Just so you can think about it. So, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, let's put the meaning, to those who are being set apart for ruin, set apart unto death, to those who are lost. And so it's veiled. They can't see it. They're blinded to it. So the fall of mankind in the garden, like I said, has caused all people since then to be born with a nature that guarantees them to be set on a path of eventual ruin. Guarantees it. Because the nature that they are born with earns destruction. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of evil and evil. Oh, no, wait. What is it? Good and evil. So there's this lie. Well, if I do really good things. No, because that doesn't replace the spiritual state. Every act they take actually earns. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a condition. Everything they do, right or wrong. It's hard to swallow that pill. That it's the truth. Right or wrong, they are earning, they are, death will be owed to them. Not talking about natural death, that too, but spiritual death, death for eternity. The wages of sin is death. It's a wage, something you owe. But the free gift, next part of the verse, is righteousness. Free gift is eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. The one is a wage, the one is a gift. So then, We'll see also the extreme hatred, extreme hatred and cruelty of the enemy because inside that nature that we're born with, inside that nature, he places something right in the center of it. And you see it all through the Bible. And it's, it's very cruel and very wicked for him to do this. And it's this thought, I by myself can fix it. Right in the center of that nature. It's the very first thing they did. The very first act they took was they tried to cover it up. They sewed fig leaves, and I will, I will cover, I will fix, I will take care of, and we cannot. And so people do good things and better things, and they strive. We can fix this, and you can't. You can't. It requires humility to understand we need a rescuer, and that's actually where the weight comes from because it comes with weight and wages. I believe the Bible talks about the weight of sin. I tell you how many people I've prayed for that have been set free or delivered or they get saved, and it's, they say, it's like a physical weight came off my back, and I didn't even know it was there. How many, I mean, we've all, many people, that are, they know what I'm talking about. You know what that weight comes from, in my belief? And I see 
Sometimes as life goes on, as people get a little older, it seems to get heavier and heavier and heavier. That weight seems to increase every time they try to fix it themselves. It just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And it, it destroys you on the inside. Just cuts you up inside. And we don't know why. This is an exciting message, so encouraging. The Bible says, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. That's what I'm talking about. In the end, it's the way of death. So why? Why can they not see? Why is the gospel veiled to them? We know the God of this age, that's the devil, it says he's blinded their minds. Whose minds, the God of verse 4, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel, of the good news, gospel means good news, the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ, the original image of God should shine on them, change them from the inside out. So, let's go to another verse. I'm enjoying this study. I'm so glad that you are too. Ephesians 2. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the God of this age, the same person. That's the enemy. He's real. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among, the, uh, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, that's the old nature of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But then here comes the good news. But God, can we say, but God? Yeah, it's a great, great. Who is rich in mercy because of His great love, not because of your great actions, because of His great love with which He loved us, even, it says it again, as it says it in verse 1, even when we were dead in trespasses. Why? Because you were born that way. Dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Grace means unmerited favor, something you didn't do. And raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places. Ah, citizenship. Sit in the heavenly places that in the ages to come, See, it says the God of this age earlier, the God of this age. The Bible speaks of two ages in the New Testament, the present evil age and the age to come. <laughs> For then the ages to come, I've lost my place. For by, let's just read, it, read it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So instead of walking, the Bible says they walked in the course of the world. In the first one, it says actually He's given us a purpose and a plan and a destiny for us to walk in those things. And good works is not works to earn. It's works that come from a changed heart. That's one of the just basic gospel. Yet it never loses its power. So, study. <laughs> Verse 1 and 5, dead in trespasses and sins. This man in front of me, Josh, used to be a paramedic. And it's not a good term in terms of it may bring 
sadness to some people, but <clears throat> if you've experienced it, but there's a term in, with the paramedic world and the hospital world called DOA. What does it mean? Dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. Every person is born. The Bible says you're born, but you're alive physically, but you're dead spiritually. You're DOA, dead on arrival. Dead on arrival. And then it says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You're going to see the slide come up behind you and hopefully online. And I won't go through this because it'll take too long. But each one of those Greek words comes up. I often go back to the Greek and I read it. Because if you grow up in church like I did, the gospel never changes its power, but we become familiar with it. So sometimes I go and say, what do these words mean? And I rewrite it. I'm not rewriting Scripture. That, that's not, never a good idea. But I rewrite it and revelation comes to me. And I understand it, and, and it just pierces my heart. It says here, walked. That's dead man walking. You know the phrase dead man walking? DOA. So he walked in the course of this world. Dead man walking around. Just doesn't know it. Course, that word, the course, that is the same word as age. The God of this age, it's the same word. Walked in the age of this world. In other words, you walked in the, the way that the enemy set up this world and causes you to think. You just walked it out. Prince, the word archon, Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world. One of those words is archon, principalities. It's right there. The prince, and then the word power is actually the word authority. It's better, better translated authority. And the works is energia, and it means to display one's activity through. And then the sons, oh, there's the birth. There's the first birth. first birth. It talks about the children of wrath and the sons of disobedience. In other words, you have to be born to be a son. You have to be born to be a child. That's your first birth. You're born into the earth, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. It's not your own fault. But that's what happened because of the sin of first Adam. So, take those meanings, put it together. Please don't rewrite Scripture. If you're watching online and you think I'm doing that, I'm not. But maybe this will help us understand it. This is the way it is in the Greek. People are born in the same scripture. People are born in a sinful state. And so by the nature within them, they will be disobedient. That's why we don't fight flesh and blood. They're following all they know. Doesn't help to come against them the way the church sometimes comes against people. People are born in a sinful state. And by the nature within them, they will be disobedient as the enemy works in them to display his activity through them by influencing their minds in such a way that they are not even aware that they are like dead men walking. That's what it means. Amazing. Now this makes more sense. The greatest form of tyranny is when those living under its oppression are unaware of their condition you know, still subject to the severity of its consequences. The tyranny of sin and death. Amazing. And Jesus broke all of that. All of that. Why? It traps a person. I've seen so many trapped. They, it traps a person that they believe they're free, but they're not. And it's, it's such a deception. And unfortunately, the church jumps on the bandwagon and says, you're bad, you're this. And it doesn't help doesn't help. Why? Because their minds are blinded, like I said. Their minds are blinded and because they're born into it. 
just proved that in Scripture. That's why they can't see it. So, with that good news, let's go to John chapter 11. I said this last week. I said I may be preaching next week about Lazarus' salvations. So that's what I call it. But it's anything that takes us from death to life. So we're looking at Lazarus. Obviously, he was raised physically from the dead, but we're going to look at the story. And I'm going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture, which I know you're all very excited about. So you just love the long, the long Scriptures. But we're going to look at it as a, it's, a, it's a prophetic picture of salvation. There's seven signs through the book of John. The Bible calls them, John calls them signs. People call them different things that are actually, John is the, is the gospel that all about the deity of, it's all about the thing that only Jesus could do. And one of them is he raises people from the, he raised Lazarus from the dead. But it's pointing to something. It's pointing to the fact that every person, because of what he's come to do, can be changed spiritually, taken from death to life. You with me? Let's read. John 11. I'm going to read from 17 to like 40-something. So when Jesus had come, he, had found that, um, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. For the scholars around me, can I, can I tell you guys just something interesting? It's got nothing to do with what we're preaching about, but it's very interesting. You know, often I've asked, why did God take, why did Jesus come when he came? I, I don't know. This is just my opinion. We don't know, but it's interesting, 2 Peter 3.8, I think it is, it says that to God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Isaac Newton worked out, and he was the, I would say, probably the best scientist we've, we've had, and there was another guy by the name of Bishop Usher, which I won't go into. Two people alive from the 15 and 1600s, they had access to documents, and they had access to stuff we don't have access to, and they both said that the creation story was 4,000, about 4,000 or 4,004 years ago from now, B.C., so before Christ. And it's interesting, a 1,000 years is like a day, a day is like a 1,000 years. Jesus waits four days to go and bring a possibility for people to come from death to life. It's just interesting. To me, I find that interesting. So... Uh, verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they all three lived together in Bethany. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She thought he was talking about in the next life. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. One of the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of heaven. I am, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And, who, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he's talking about those who are living when he comes back. When he comes back, those on the earth, they will actually never experience a physical death. Do you believe this? He asks her. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. 
As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in that same place where was in that place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her. Imagine that privacy. People are like, I love community. You know, they're trying to grieve and they all go with her. You know, it's just interesting. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, they followed her, um, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then Mary came. Now, that actually means they were probably wealthy. He had a tomb, wasn't a grave, like a, a, hollow, a, cave, a hollowed up place in the mountain. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, friends, sometimes things happen we don't understand, but he sees things we don't know. He really does. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. He groaned in the spirit. The Bible speaks of that also in Romans 8. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit helps in our weakness with groans and moans and and things that we cannot understand or utter. Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He knew he was going to rise him from the dead. It's just compassion. I've seen people with, oh boy, you know, I don't want you to affect my faith. And so they actually treat people badly. Yeah? It's like they, they can't even... What's the word? Not express. They can't even say the wrong thing because then they're like, well, then my faith is affected. They can't even identify with this person who's in a terrible state. And sometimes because they've been taught that, you know, you cannot say bad things. It's like someone's struggling and they say, I'm sick. Don't say you're sick. Hello, you guys know what I'm talking about? Someone, don't do this, don't do that. It's sometimes that, that whole faith thing is so, it is, there's a lot of truth to it, but some, we can never forget people are people and their dignity is important. And what they're going through is what they're going through. The Bible says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Sorry, side tangent, another one. And uh, he says, he was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? Then they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes from the blind also have kept this man from dying? Now verse, I read that just so we understand the story. But then we're going to see here what I'm about to read. Very important. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha said, Martha, the sister of him who was dead, that's Lazarus, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because, imagine standing there and hearing this. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. This is him speaking. I said this. That they may believe that you have sent me. 
Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a lie's voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he had died, and when and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with, with a cloth. They practiced mummification. So he was bound up and tied up. His face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him or unbind him and let him go. So, very briefly, with what's time left, there's three commands that Jesus gives. And unfortunately, a large part of the church and on global focus on the first two. And they do the first two very well. The three commands that Jesus gives, what's the first one? Take away the stone. Take away the stone. Who did he tell to take away? Did he do it? No. That's something we do. Now we're speaking about today, salvation. We're looking at this as a picture of salvation. Take away the stone. That's something we do. That's through your life, through preaching, through events, through outreach, through acts of kindness, through the miraculous, through prayer mainly, through friendship, through so many avenues that are what? We, we do what we can to, in a sense, remove an impediment. To, we, we remove something that the light of God can begin to shine. Your life preaches. And he says, you remove the stone. I want to bring salvation. I want to change. I want to take that which was dead and make it alive inside of a person. But take away the stone. Start to remove the things that are clouding them, that are in their way, that are bringing them in darkness. Start, and that's how you are. That's who you are. That's having them over for lunch. That's inviting them to a place or to your house. It's friendship. It's anything. Because people watch you to see if what you say is true. And it's, that's, we do that. Take away the stone. Learning that God is often waiting on us. I encourage you, do an experiment. I know that's not the right word. Pray for an actual physical neighbor every day for one month. Watch what happens. Amazing what happens. It's like there's something, there's a part we play. We remove the stone so that God can do something. And it's hard. Why is it hard? Because the people that, in a sense, you're offering, you hold life in your hand. You don't know that, but you do. You can't put it there. Jesus can. But you hold life in your hand, life in place of death. And when you speak to those, they're blinded. And they've, in a sense, been told all their life that what you're about to say, what you're about to do, it's like they've heard propaganda all their life. And so there's massive hurdles to overcome. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like they've heard that all their life. It's not true. But you actually hold life in your hands. And it's hard. In Acts 26, I'll throw it up, but I won't go into it. When Paul was saved, Jesus said this to him. Um, in Paul's salvation experience, he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa. But Jesus says to them, I will deliver you in terms of, actually, I'll just, but rise and stand on your feet, 16 to 18. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and witness of both the things that you have seen and of the things I will yet reveal. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well, and from, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you to open their eyes. To open their eyes in order to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. That word power, another time, is the word authority. The God of this age. It's interesting. He says, I... Well, I will deliver you from the Jews and the Gentiles to whom I send you. Jesus sends us to people 
that he will also have to rescue us from. Do you ever think about that? He says, I'm sending you these people, but I'm going to have to rescue you sometimes. Sometimes they're going to want to kill you. And so I'll, I'll help you. I'm with you, but you still need to go. Well, that's exciting. It's not a boring life. The real Christian life is definitely not boring. I'm sending you, but I'm going to have to sometimes get you out of there, man. But it's worth it. Why? Because I've sent you to open their eyes. Because they're blind. And you hold life in your hand. It's literally what he said. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. (laughs) The tyranny of sin and the tyranny of death. So we hold life in our hands. But people come against us. And then we react at them. How dare you? And we lose all our ground right there. (laughs) All of it. Because we're actually free people. I'm sending you to those I will have to free you from. You know, the very first time the phrase used, open the eyes, it was in Genesis. It says they opened, their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. The very first time it was used after Jesus rose, rose from the dead, it says their eyes were opened and they knew him. I ask you a question today, and I mean that even to those online. Have your eyes been opened? Not intellect. Have your eyes been Sometimes God needs to open our eyes to recognize our state. I'm in need of desperate rescue. Sometimes he opens our eyes and it's like we can grab onto Christ. Both of them take supernatural intervention. You can't do it on your own. Then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Friends, it wasn't, I don't want to shout, but it was Lazarus, come out. The, um, sure. the early church father, Augustine, said that if he didn't say Lazarus, he would have emptied the whole place. I, I actually think he, was, I think he was right. But you know, it's showing you that in the New Testament, it's personal, it's not national. It was Israel, now it's Lazarus. You, come here. Come out. Come out from the darkness, from the things that blind you. Come out. And he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he's done that to you. But we can't hear him. And then all of a sudden, one day, your eyes are opened and you see, I'm naked. I need him. You see your state, then you see him. Most assuredly, I say to you, John 5, 24, he who hears my word, hears, Lazarus, he knows you by name, the Bible says. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I'll say this because it will offend some people, um, and it's good. Sometimes just a little bit of a shock. I don't mean it in a doctrinal way, but Jesus was the first person to be born again. He wasn't, he was Jesus, he was God, I, I understand. But he was the first person, in a sense, when he was raised from death, he was born from death to life. The Bible says Jesus was the firstborn among many sons, the first one to conquer death. He, was, he went from death to life, firstborn among many sons. <laughs> Adam, was the first, Adam was the first man who was born from life to death, died spiritually. So Jesus came so we could born, be born from death 
back to life. So that's happened now. Now you're saved. Say, so now we're saved. The wages removed. The weight is lifted. My eyes are open. My identity is changed. My citizenship is changed. It's now in heaven. My inheritance begins. I have purpose. My heart is soft. It, it's like, wow, just things change. And yet, for some, for many, they're still bound. You know, when if a person changes citizenship one country to the other, like I say earlier, if they did it straight away, not waiting 12 years like I have, but if they did it straight away, you know, they're suddenly part of the, their new citizen of this new country, but they're still exactly like they were in the old one. They haven't changed at all. Now, God changes you from the inside out, but there are parts of people that are still bound. The Bible says, Lazarus passed from death to life, and he comes out, what does it say? He's bound. What's the third command that Jesus gives? Unbind him and let him go. He who had died came out bound hand and feet and foot with grave clothes wrapped around him and his face with a cloth over it. Some people get saved and they like that. Inside they're different. But on practical levels they are bound to addiction to pornography, to sex, to relationships, to whatever. They bound in their mind. And so, the ch unfortunately, the church comes along and says, well, you better be a better Christian. And it makes it worse. Let me ask you a question. Who unbound him and let him go? Jesus? No, us. First command, take away the stone to us. Second thing, only Jesus can do that. I, we can't save a single person. But then he looks at his disciples. He looks at us, the one preached the gospel to every creature. And all those who believe, that's us, will cast out demons. They will lay, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, preach. That's us. If you go look at the Great Commission, two-thirds of every time it's mentioned, two-thirds of the Great Commission have to do with bringing freedom to free people. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. So it's the church does very well at the first two. Let's have big events. Let's invite. Let's do it. It's great, and it's good. Let's do everything we can to remove the barriers so that people can come and hear the gospel. Then they get saved, and they're like, we had 400 saved today. But some of them are bound. I know because I was a drug addict. They are bound. Sometimes there's not much they can do about it. And Jesus says, unbind him and set him free. That's us. It takes, we can't do it. I understand it's all him. But he, he has given that to us. Unbind him. His hands, that's his ministry. Every person saved has a ministry. It has nothing to do with going to church. His hands, his walk. You know, the power, I don't know if they wrap both of his legs together. That's what they normally did, wrapped individual, then both. It means the power of God picked that man up in that tomb and stood him at the entrance. You ever think about that? And Jesus said, unbind him. Let him go. His hands are bound, his feet. 
He can't speak. He's got a, he can't speak. They don't know how to speak. The Bible says the Spirit will teach you how to speak spiritual things. He can't speak. He can't see. He, he can't see with the Spirit inside of him. He's, but he's saved inside. I feel different. But I, it's, I feel stuck. Unfortunately, that describes many people. Sanctification. People say, well, now, now they need sanctification. That's a fancy word for those who do not, uh, uh, don't follow the Lord have never heard it. And the church uses the word sanctification to say, you need to, you know, be sanctified. You need to be better and better and better. The word sanctification means set apart. The word sanctified means in proper state of functioning. This pen is sanctified when I'm using it to write. When it's laying down there, it's not. Because it's, it's fine, but it's not in a proper state of functioning. How can a person be sanctified if they're bound? How can a person operate in who God's called them to be if they're still bound? Hello? This is not supposed to be heavy. It's actually supposed to be fun. But it's just a passion in my heart for this. You know, <laughs> I'll end with this. It's interesting to me that we never see Lazarus when he met. You know, he, he, he rose from the dead, so now you're saved. And then he lived a natural life and died again, yeah? So he would have sinned again. Oh, my goodness. He would have sinned again. He would have messed up, made mistakes. But we never see him go, oh, made a mistake. All right, hold on. I've got to go and actually go get those grave clothes. I've got to put them back on, you know, and then I'm going to go to the tomb and lay down. But Christians do that all the time. I made a mistake. Well, I better earn myself what he's already given me. You never see him doing that. I bet you he told some friends, you better come with me. You're just terrible. You better come. Let's go, let's go back to the tomb. You know, let's, let's go back there, lay down. He never does that because he understood it wasn't him who rose him from the dead. And it wasn't us who saved us. It was him. So stop trying to earn what you've been given. When you make a mistake, go to him. Be free. Don't focus on what you've done. Be free. Sanctification has more to do with liberty and freedom than good behavior because it means set apart. You've been set apart to Him. Apollomai, remember that word? You were set apart to death. Now you're set apart to Him. So don't go back there to find empowerment because it carries none. It carries none. So I want to do something today. And I know it's 11.25. Can we have someone come and make nice sounds, please, on the keyboard? Bible says, what kind of sounds? I left it very broad. The Bible says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. And I know that was a bit of a teaching, but friends, I give this on Independence Day. There's a tyranny that exists in the world, and it's the greatest form of tyranny known to man. And it's the tyranny that people can't see. They're slaves, but they think they're free. And the gospel broke that slavery, broke that completely. Jesus broke that. 
But those who are not saved, they're blinded. And you know that they're not, you're not better than them. Your value is the same value as them. The Bible says the coin that was lost with the woman, the coin didn't change value when she found it. Same value. Same price paid for you as it paid for them. But by the grace of God, God saved us. That is amazing. And yet there are people who are saved. They've been made new in their heart. They believe in God. They know Jesus. They are heaven toward, they are heaven. They're going to heaven. But in this life, they bound hand and foot. And that's why two-thirds of the Great Commission, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, is set my people free. When my people are free, they can worship me different. So, what if you put away all your Bibles, pens, papers, put them all down if you can. We have a few minutes left. I trust that was helpful to you, and I really do mean happy 4th, even though it was yesterday. It's a wonderful, great nation, and I, I trust that you're praying for it. The Lord gave me three responses today. I don't always do a response, but I felt in my heart to do this. Now, the first one, I'm letting you know, you're stretching, you're tired, you're yawning. This is going to stretch you, which I'm fine with. It's not for every person, I understand. But the first response is this. Perhaps there is something that God has set you free from. You were bound, but you're not anymore. It may just be that you've never even stood up and said publicly, ever publicly, you've never said, I want to say publicly that I belong to Jesus Christ. Or you want to say, not a story, one sentence, please. I was a drug drug addict, I am one no longer. I want to give a few minutes. If that's you, yes, publicly, I would encourage you to stand up, just a sentence, please, because there's something that happens when you release that. And you're like, really, here? And we can actually, goodbye to all the wonderful people online. You can cut that mic. We love you. Bless you.